more time looking at my phone than I do my children and probably both of them put together, the most important people in my whole life. This is the world we're bringing children into. Why are we doing that again? Because even if we are able to raise good ones, ones that don't succumb to all the temptations of this age, there are still loads of factors completely out of our control that these children will have to deal with. According to the last year's UN report, we have 12 years to combat the catastrophe of climate change. And there's a very real possibility that in the near future, the only way we will get the protein we need is by existing solely on a diet of locusts and grubs. In fact, an entrepreneur friend of mine has actually bought a locust farm in Africa in anticipation. Hakuna Matata, everyone. This is the world we're coming to. Why are we bringing children into it again? Now, obviously, there is a furtherment of the species type answer, and that would answer in some way why we're bringing children into it, but it wouldn't answer why we're bringing so many of them. Hannah's uncle, Hannah, my wife's uncle, John Gilbo, he's a world authority on population and birth control. He lectures all around the world, and as you may know, we have a global issue with overpopulation. There are so many of us that we use up the equivalent of the sustainable resources of more than one and a half worlds every year since 2016. He has set up a foundation trying to address the problem. And if family units just had a few fewer babies, let's say a few fewer than two each, then, in a little bit, the whole sustainability thing would be solved. Now, Uncle John, Unky Jay, as no one has ever called him, <laughs> has given his life to working out strategies to reduce the global population, specifically how women in developing countries who would like to have fewer children but don't have access to birth control could have access to birth control and therefore have fewer children. But do you know how many children Unky Jay has? Three. Do you know how many children Hannah and I have knowing all of this? Three. Do you know how many children Unky Jay's sister, Hannah's mum, has? Five. Do you know how many children Unky Jay's brother, Hannah's other uncle, has? Four. It's almost like you can't actually quantify the value of a human life. Try telling anyone who desperately wants to have children but is unable to that, oh, but anyway, it's helping keep the population down. Why do we have children? Why do we keep having so many children? Because you can't quantify the value of a human life in the same way you can't count to infinity. Because each human life, each single one of us, is magical infinitely valuable. And when a life is of infinite value, all the reasons to not have them kind of pale into insignificance. Because look, it's Ellison. Look, it's Emerson. Look, it's every single baby ever born. Infinitely, extraordinarily, amazingly valuable. In my experience, people instinctively believe this or they would like to believe this. Of course that's why we re reproduce. Just look at them. Infinitely significant. And because you, 
you were one of these little, fragile, vulnerable, beautiful little things once. That means you are and were as well. But do you feel it? Do you believe it? Is your eternal significance tank currently full to overflowing? Or has the world taken its toll? Before I was a Christian, I had a go at being a nihilist for a bit. Nihilism is the belief that life is actually meaningless. But then I did something. I'm not going to go into the details of what I did because my mum quite often listens to this podcast. Hi, mum. If you want to know the details, I'll tell you afterwards. But because I was trying to be a nihilist, what I did really shouldn't have mattered at all. But it really, really did. It filled me with all these feelings of shame and regret and self-hatred. It mattered loads, and I absolutely wanted to have that moment back in my life so that I wouldn't do the thing. And I realized that my beef, brief, my beef, my brief flirtation with the meaninglessness of life had come to an abrupt halt. And strangely, the more I felt horrible about myself, the more I realized life really, really does matter, doesn't it? It's just that I didn't think my life did. How about you? Do you matter? The Christian contention is that all people are of infinite value because all people have been made in the image of an infinite God. We share his DNA. At the, book, at the beginning of the book of Genesis, which is, um, let me just tell you, a depiction much more about the nature of God and life than it is a sort of science textbook or a piece of history. You can read it like that if you like. Absolutely up to yourself. But I would see it as a deeper meaning. At the beginning of it, God says this. Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Now, the word for image there is the Hebrew tselem. It means not just likeness, i.e. that we have attributes similar to God, we know and we think and we feel and we do. It means much more than that. It connotes a sense of idolhood. We're not just God's images, we are his idols. Not silly little sort of motionless carved statues of God sitting on the mantelpiece. Oh, look, there's an idol. But actually, living, breathing, divine-like representatives of his on earth. God has placed something of his divinity into you, into me, into each and every one of us. His vice-regents we are, going about his divine creative process here on earth to bring order to chaos, light to darkness, life to death, Eden to the universe. This is what it is to be human, originally designed, in some ways divine, to live forever, to never die, to be of infinite, wondrous significance. It's where we've all come from, 
It's where we all are. This is why we keep giving birth to more of ourselves. We sense it now and again, and the Bible says, guess what? Yes, you're right to sense it because it's completely true. This is authentic human real life. It's why we partner with various organizations trying to solve problems here in Los Feliz and in Los Angeles. It's why we think all life is important. It's why we think creation is important. It's why we think you are important because this is the real thing. So why the hell then isn't it always infinitely wonderful? Some of our friends who are part of this community have just found out they are pregnant and it's very exciting. We're overjoyed for them. But this is tempered by the fact that this couple's sister last month gave birth extremely prematurely to a beautiful little girl who is right now fighting for her life. And we pray for her, and we feel for her, for all the despair and heartache that the family are going through. And of course, there will be people across this city, people in this room, for whom all this talk, all this service, all this stuff about children, for various reasons, is a very painful subject. Because the world does not work like it's supposed to. And there is heartache, and there is pain, and there is loss, and we sense it, and we see it around every corner. Can I just say, if you are in that boat right now, please know that we really want to care and show you love. We're sorry for all that is going on for you. Please always feel that you are able to talk to Hannah and me about anything or everything. Church is really about all of life, the good and the joyful, as well as the bad and the ugly. We rejoice with those who rejoice, and we grieve with those who grieve, because this is real life. We're not playing. The world works not as it should. And whenever it does, it always causes pain. And this, before we even get on to the pain and the darkness, we intentionally cause ourselves or other people. The Christian contention is that we are all born with God DNA, but his DNA has been marred in us. And this corruption inhibits us from experiencing the infinite importance, the infinite love, the infinite significance of the lives we were all created to live. Sometimes we mar it in ourselves, and let's be honest, shall we, just for a second? There are always parts of our lives we don't want anyone to see. Sometimes it's marred in us, by other people's behavior. It's not our fault. But it's not just a personal problem, it's a cosmic problem. There, since records and writings of human existence began, seen in every instance of kids being bullied at the school, cancerous cells suffocating the life out of a body, war, death, loneliness, heartache, depression, and natural disaster. The, uh, the Apostle Paul puts it like this, the whole creation, all of it has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. The point is not really how we got or how we get into this mess. The point is the fact that we're in it. And I just want to suggest that we all know it. In those moments of honesty and vulnerability. And the reason I know this 
is because I know you're a bit like me and you'll have all tried at various points to get yourself out of the mess. Varied, inventive, and valiant attempts, many of them worthy, many of them good, many of them offering some relief. Relationships, work, sex, money, mindfulness, success, soul cycle. Fame, giving something back, paying something forward, just rearranging the furniture in the living room. Minimalism, liberalism, shamanism, Sheeranism, which is the belief that Ed Sheeran is some sort of medieval jester-type godman. I made that one up. Rescuing a pet, being rescued by a pet. Or just turn on, tune in, drop out, and then do some vigorous juicing. Varied, valiant, and inventive. But ultimately, finite solutions will only solve finite problems. And ours is an infinite one, the problem of getting back to full, perfect, infinite, true self. What we all need is something out of this world. And all our valiant attempts to reach and to climb and to strive towards the infinite, pale into insignificance in the light of the infinite coming down to us. John's Gospel in the Message Translation puts it like this, the word became flesh and blood and he moved into the neighborhood. Jesus Christ said, come to me all you who are weary and heavy laden and I will give you rest. Jesus said, I'm the bread of life Everyone who comes to me will never go hungry. He said, I have come to give you life and life in all its abundant, infinite, eternal fullness. He's the one we're all looking for. Jesus Christ has always been fantastic. He is sublime. He was sublime. He will always be sublime. Has there ever been anyone like this man? He is at the very center of human history. He never wrote a book. He never achieved a position of political or military authority. He spent the vast majority of his time with outcasts, tax collectors, and prostitutes, healing the sick, preaching good news to people, and releasing people from institutional, spiritual, political, and social oppression. His public ministry lasted only three years, and it ended with him being crucified on a cross between two petty criminals. Yet millions and millions and millions of people ever since, and right now today, follow him. Why is that? Can I try and tell you? He came to do two things. The first is to identify with us in our humanity, whilst showing us exactly what true humanity looks like. Unconditional love, complete freedom, supernatural power, truth, mercy, justice. That sense that we have of there being something more, Jesus shows us exactly what that looks like. It looks exactly like him. The second is to deal with the corruption at the heart of things. Only the infinite can solve an infinite problem. And when Jesus, the eternal God, whom death cannot hold and who rises to live forever, gives his life up on the cross, he says, it is finished. All instances of corruption, greed, imperfection, death and sin in that moment taken on himself and destroyed forever. As we often say here, Jesus doesn't come to rub our sin in. He comes to rub it out. 
once and for all, and over and over and over again. Do you know what Jesus cannot stand? Guilt and shame. He hates it. He doesn't want you to have any little semblance of it. He wants to take it all from you forever. Now, you may not be feeling guilty or shameful at all. Great. But I know some people will. Why don't you just leave it with him and you'll never need to worry about it again because he uniquely has the power to deal with it. I'm going to end. I know it's easy to say and probably harder to do. But I would try as much as you can not to worry too much about how distasteful the wider church sometimes can be. I wouldn't worry too much about the religious right or the religious left or the religious whatever. Of course, it would be great, wouldn't it? I think we can all agree this, if the Christians could just start representing Christ rather than something else. As Gandhi once said, I like your Christ, I do not like your Christians, they look so much unlike your Christ. Any brief review, though, of Christian history will see that there are countless people who are quite clearly stark raving bonkers, as well as many, despite what Gandhi says, who do actually look quite a lot like their Christ. Now, I'm not trying to excuse anyone's behavior. I'm just saying I wouldn't spend too much time fixating on it. The problem with Christians, people like me, is not too much Jesus, it's just not enough. We could all do with quite a lot more of him. So I wouldn't fixate so much on them, I would fixate on Jesus. I would fixate on the one person who, when we hold up a candle to him, is always good enough because he's perfect. And he it is who wants you to be perfect like him, not through your own strength, but through his infinite power. That's what he comes to do. That's why we do this church thing. Basically, Christians, we should be the humblest people in the world because to be a Christian is to admit that you haven't actually got it all together. Actually, if you've got it all together, great, you don't need this, off you go. Have fun, you do not need this. But for those of us who haven't got it all together, that's why we come to Jesus. Before I was a Christian, I thought, Christians are so weak, they're pathetic, look at them, they can't actually get on with life. They have to have a crutch, a Jesus crutch, a mythical person from 2,000 years ago who didn't even exist. They stand themselves up on this Jesus crutch. It's exactly right. It's exactly who we are. Because we're not the answer, he is. And he does extraordinary things in people's lives. He takes them, whatever they're like, whoever they are, and he makes them beautiful. He makes them free. He heals them. He restores them. And what he says to each one of them is, you are significant. You have purpose. I want to use you to make this world better. We're not waiting to escape this world. At the end of the Bible, what happens is we don't all just go up into the cloud, harp-playing, cloudy weirdness. That sounds really boring. Heaven comes here. 
Heaven comes here, and all the things that we have restored and renewed, they just become perfect, and we have a party for the rest of life. It'll be amazing. In and out burgers with no fat. It will be amazing. So, fixate on him, go after him, look for him. He is coming looking for you. He is desperate for you. Thank God for Jesus. Thank you very much for being here. Amen.